chapter 1, the first letter of John. Right. Um, and last week he covered verses 1 to 4. Um, if you weren't here, you can listen to them on the Goldings website. Well worth listening to. Um, this letter is written by the same guy that wrote John's Gospel. John, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He also wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, he wrote these three letters, that, uh, and we're looking at the first letter, 1 John chapter 1. Now, in verse 5, it starts off, this is the message. Now, I wonder if you didn't know the rest of the verse, and I asked you, can you sum up in just one sentence the Christian message? You know, if you wanted to say to somebody very briefly, you know, what, what is the message that we as Christians have? I wonder what you'd say. I'm not going to ask you this morning, because we haven't got time, um, but I've done it on other occasions. Uh, and generally, the answers will be something like this. God is love, or God loves us. God loves us and sent his son to die for us. Something along those lines. And I reckon if we did a survey this morning a huge number of you would say something about the love of God in the message. Well, if you go to just about any church in the Western world, that's the emphasis that you'll hear over and over again. God is love, God is love. We hear it so much that you know, we all assume, yes, this is what Christianity is all about. But actually, if you go back a hundred years or so and read the works of some of the sort of great preachers at the time, you'll find that wasn't their emphasis. That might surprise you. And you might think, uh, well, they must have got it wrong. Yeah, we, we've, we, we've come on a bit. Well, it's possible they could have been wrong and we could be right. Um, but it's better actually to go back to the Bible. And the best record we have of what the early Christians preached is in the book of Acts. We've got 28 chapters, one of the longest books in the New Testament, and it tells us the first 30 years of church history after Jesus went back to heaven. And it has quite details about what they preach. It's got at least nine sermons in there, you know, telling you the sort of text of the sermon. You can go and check this for yourself. In the book of Acts, there is not one single reference to the love of God. That might surprise you, but it's true. You can check it. There is not one single reference to the love of God. So it seems that was not the message that those people were proclaiming. But you say, but hang on, hang on. Um, and you're thinking of all the verses and you want to shout verses at me about the love of God. And in fact, the guy John who wrote, who we're speaking about, who wrote this letter, many of the verses were written by John. And Paul wrote wonderful messages as well about the love of God, but if you look at them, you'll find that virtually all of those messages, all of those verses, if not all of them, are directed to people that were already Christians. And you see, if you tell somebody outside of Christ, God loves you, I wonder what they understand by that. They'll understand something by it, but it might be something very distorted. You can only really understand what the love of God is once you've come to know him. Because the way God loves is something very different to what we understand by love. Anyway, that's not what I'm speaking about this morning, so I don't want to spend too long on that, but it's something for you to talk about, for you to think about. 
And so, if that's not the message, what is the message? This is the message we have heard from you and declare to you, says John. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, the first thing that strikes me about this message is it doesn't even mention me. You know, again, our Christianity today is so much about me. You know, God loves me. God wants to do this for me. God can do this and this and this for me. But John says this is the message, and he says we heard it from him. We heard it from Jesus himself, and we declare it to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. The message isn't about me. It's about God. But when we really take on board that message, it has profound implications for you and me. And the message is this, that God is light. Now, put your hand up if you've experienced total darkness, maybe down a mine or in a cave or something like that. Who's experienced total darkness? Okay, quite a few people here. Put your hands up if you've experienced total light. Okay, a couple of people not, not sure. I'm not, a, I'm not a scientist, but I was actually trying to research it this week. And as far as I can see, it's not possible to experience total light. You see, th- this room is well lit, but there's, you know, there's, the closer I get to the lights here, there's more light there than there is in this corner down here. Um, earlier this morning, I woke, woke, walked up from Baldwin's Hill and the sun was blazing. And you think, gosh, this is a really brilliant, light-filled atmosphere. And yet the sun, there was far more light. If I looked up to the sun, there's far more light there than where I was. It doesn't matter how much light there is in a place, there's always some shadow, some variation, except in God. That's the one place where there's no darkness at all. Um, James talks about God as the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Psalm 104 says, God wraps himself in light as with a garment. The very clothing that God wears, if you could imagine that, is light. And Paul writing to Timothy says that God lives in unapproachable light. Our God is absolute blazing light, so much that Paul says it's unapproachable. You say, okay, well, that's God the Father. You know, surely Jesus is more approachable. Well, yes, he is. And uh, again, John, um, he describes himself, Jerry spoke about this last week, as the apostle whom Jesus loved, and he was particularly close to Jesus. He records that at the Last Supper, he was leaning on Jesus' breasts. He was saying, yeah, that's how close I am to Jesus. Can you imagine that? To be, that, to be right there nestled up next to Jesus. And yet, there was a time when that same guy, John, had seen Jesus in a very different way. When Jesus was on earth, one day he took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain. Luke says they went up there to pray. And when they got to the top, it says there he, Jesus, was transfigured. That simply means changed. His appearance was changed before them. His face 
shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And it says those three guys were terrified and they fell down on the ground. It's probably only lasted a few minutes, but that's how they saw Jesus. Luke, writing about the same event, says of Jesus, his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, I'd say that was only a few minutes in the life of Jesus, but you know, after Jesus went, died, rose again, went back to heaven, on occasions when he was seen after that, he was only ever seen like that. You see, because how Jesus was on earth, that's how he, he came amongst us for 33 years with the appearance of, of a man and living among us as a man. The Bible says he's now been glorified. He's still a man, but he's God's right hand in heaven and he's been glorified. Some years later, the Apostle Paul is, or he wasn't the Apostle Paul then, he was a guy called Saul, and he was going to Damascus to persecute the church there. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. And it says, while, this, while he was on his way, he suddenly saw this blazing light from heaven. And years later, talking about the same events, he says this, about noon, okay, so about the time when the sun would have been at its absolute brightest, the sun would have been blazing there in, in Israel. And about noon, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me. And if you know the story, that was Jesus who appeared to him. The Apostle John ended his life on the Isle of Patmos, imprisoned there because of his faith. And uh, in Revelation chapter 1, he records how Jesus appeared to him. And he said, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And he says, I fell at his feet as dead. This same John who says, I leant on Jesus' breast. This same John who says, I was the one he loved. I spent all this time with him. I handled him. I touched him and everything. He's now saying his face was so brilliant. I fell at his feet as dead. And remember, John had actually seen Jesus like that once before on the Mount of Transfiguration. But... He hadn't got used to it. Yeah, when Jesus appeared again in that way, it's more than he can stand. Now, you might say, is this, this is all a bit frightening. Well, if that's how you're feeling, that's not a bad thing. Again, it's, it's good to get something of the fear of God into our experience, to realise how utterly pure, how utterly holy our God is, that if Jesus was to appear here today as he is, None of us would be able to stand. We'd all be on our faces as dead before him. Some might even be running out the door. I might be running out the door. Jesus is so pure, so holy. And yet, we can know him. We can meet him. There's, a, there's an old hymn that puts this beautifully. I'll change a couple of the words to make it more understandable to you. It says, eternal light, eternal light. How pure the soul must be when faced within your searching sight it shrinks not but with pure delight can live and look on thee. The angels that surround your throne may bear the burning bliss but surely that is theirs alone since they have never, never known a fallen world like this. Oh, how can I 
whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before a holy God appear, and on my naked spirit bear that uncreated beam. Now the hymn goes on to say, there is a way to make this possible, but I'm not going to carry on with the hymn, I'm going to go back to the word of God, because in the first letter of John, he speaks about walking in the light, right? So although Jesus is this blazing light that seems unapproachable to you and me, John is saying we can walk in the light. He says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, certain things happen, which we'll see later on. So what does it mean to walk in the light? And to illustrate this, I'm going to talk about a story from John chapter 9. Now, we don't have time to read the story, and if you're not, I'm going to summarise it to you, but if you're not familiar with it, there's something else to uh, read this afternoon when, when you've read the passages that Mike's already recommended to you. You can read John chapter 9 as well. It's a thrilling story. And in John 9 and verse 5, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he didn't just say it, it wasn't just empty words, he illustrated it by bringing light or sight to a man who had been born blind. And John chapter 9 is basically about the experience of that man. And you'll find in John chapter 9, when Jesus, the light of the world, comes on the scene, there's two different reactions to the lights. Okay, now the blind man... It seems at every stage, he's open to receive that light. Not just physical healing, but, you know, Jesus actually said to him, when Jesus healed him, it says he put mud on the guy's eyes and then said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man washed and he came back seeing. So he had to take an action of faith to do what Jesus had said to him. But, you know, Jesus was saying to him right from the beginning... I'm not just giving you sight. I'm going to change your whole life. I want you to go and wash. I want you to start walking in a different way to how you've walked before. I want you to walk in obedience to me. And as you read on in John chapter 9, you find how that happens. Now, not everything was revealed to that guy all at once. And in fact, at one point, the Pharisees say about Jesus, we know that this man's a sinner. And the blind man, the man who was blind, says... Well, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. Okay, now, of course, we all know that Jesus wasn't a sinner, but the guy didn't know that at that stage. He hadn't yet got that revelation. But as time goes on, the Pharisees are arguing with him, and he says, well, he's a prophet. And by the end of the conversation, he says, I believe that he was sent from God. Now, the consequence of that guy saying that was that the Pharisees excommunicated him. They put him out meaning he couldn't come to the temple. That was a major thing in those Jewish circles, that they put that guy out. But that's what he suffered straight away for his stand about Jesus, even though he didn't yet know everything about him. But it says Jesus then found him. After he'd been put out, Jesus found him. And he says to him, do you believe in the Messiah? And the guy said, well, who who is he? And Jesus says, it's me. And he says... And the Bible says that man worshipped. It's interesting, he didn't worship just when he got his sight back. He worshipped when he knew who Jesus was, that he's the Son of God. So more and more light 
is coming to this guy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not just physical sight, but more and more light is coming into his experience. And at every stage, he's responding to that light. And the more he responds, the more light he gets. Okay, the Christian life is like that. But before I talk about that, there were some other people in John chapter 9, the Pharisees, and every time the light came, they rejected it. You see, it was too frightening for them. It, was, it didn't fit, <coughs> excuse me, didn't fit into their experience. They said, this guy, he can't be sent from God because it's the Sabbath day today and he's healed you on the Sabbath day. And uh, there was no room in their experience for their light to be brought. And they thought they knew it all. You see, it's a big problem if you think you know it all. Um, if you were here last week, um, I was giving my testimony because it was exactly 50 years since I became a Christian. You can listen to that on the website as well if you missed it. Um, but I was saying how at age 13 I went along to a Christian meeting thinking that I knew it all. And I went in to argue with everybody because I thought I knew everything. But that weekend, God shone some light into my life. Only a little bit of light. All sorts of things I didn't understand, but a little bit of light. I responded to it, and I said, yes, I'm open to this, and Jesus Christ came into my life. And as the years have gone on, more light has come. Sometimes I run away from the light, or I hide from it. I think, no, no, God, I don't like that. That's too challenging. I, I don't want that. But I find that God is very patient, and he'll come back, and again and again, he'll shine light into our lives. And as I said, it's, it's a process we must be careful not to judge other people on the basis of the light that we're receiving. Okay, so you know, maybe when you became a Christian, God dealt with you in a particular way and uh, you, know, you threw your drugs away or, or whatever else you know, and you changed in a dramatic way that other people could see. Other people, you might look at them and say, you're a Christian and you're still smoking. Be careful not to judge people because there might be things about you that other people can't see <laughs> and there's light that needs to be shone in the hatred that's in your heart or the bitterness that's there. It's so easy to judge people on external things, you see, but God gives light to us at different times. The important thing is whatever light God is giving to you, respond to it. Respond to it today if God is showing you something. So at the end of John chapter 9, I hope that sort of whetted your appetite to go and read the whole story, but at the end of John chapter 9, Jesus sums it up and says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will come blind. What he's saying is, now that I, the lights have come, nothing can stay the same. Right? So those that are blind see those that see or that think they see, and he's having a go at the Pharisees here, they become blind. When Jesus comes, nothing stays the same. And essentially, when you read the book of Acts, you'll find that what they actually preached was Jesus. Right? They went everywhere just declaring Jesus, who is the light. And they either left people glad or mad with anger. Either people responded to that light or they started stoning them or chucking them out of town and said, we, oh, I long to preach like that. That's my prayer 
that I'll leave you either mad or glad, right? I don't want to leave you the same, right? I don't want to say, oh, well, that, that was a nice message. Uh, when, when's the next one? I want you to either be saying, yes, God, we want that, or that the, the thing so angers you that you say, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want that. And you run away from it. But I pray you'll come back again another time if that's the case. But uh, Jesus had that effect on people, you know, when he went around. That uh, It says the common people heard him gladly. Prostitutes, tax gatherers, all sorts of people gathered around him. And uh, they were glad to hear his message. Other people just wanted to throw him out of town and ultimately to nail him on a cross. It's an interest. John, again, writes something very interesting in his gospel, John chapter 3. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Okay, that makes sense. We, we all know that's true, doesn't it? That if, if people are, um, are doing something that's shady, they want to stay in the shade, right? They don't want to come into the light. They certainly don't want to come into the light of Christ and be exposed to the gospel because it points at them and says, what you're doing is wrong. Okay, but John goes on in the next verse to say, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, notice the words I've put in red. There's an interesting contrast here. Everyone who does evil hates the light. So you would expect it to say, everyone who does good comes into the light. See, but there's a problem. That puts the standard too high. And actually the Bible says there's none that does good. No, no, not one. But it says whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. Okay, so what is walking in the light? It's essentially acknowledging the truth about yourself. It doesn't mean being perfect. That blind man in John chapter 9, he wasn't perfect. Even by the end of the chapter when he knew who Jesus was, he still wasn't perfect. But he was walking in the truth. At every stage that something was revealed to him, he says, yes, that's true. I'll acknowledge that. Um, let's back that up. Let's go back to the first letter of John and you'll see three times it talks about the truth. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Okay, so you get the picture. If we're walking in darkness, it's not so much about doing bad, but it's about not being truthful. Whereas if we walk in the light, we're willing to acknowledge the truth God is showing us, particularly that truth about ourselves. Okay, so what, is, what are the effects of walking in the light? Well, we saw that verse earlier, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and it goes on to give us two effects of walking in the light. The first one is, it says we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
Okay, the biggest barrier to fellowship, or in fact, the biggest barrier to any, rela- any sort of relationship is not being truthful with one another, is not being open with one another. Okay, so supposing I ask you this morning, how are you? And you say, oh, praise the Lord, I'm absolutely fine, praise God, praise God. And actually you're falling apart inside, you're broken, you're miserable, your world is in tatters. You and I are not going to have very much fellowship with one another. You might talk about we're going to have fellowship over a cup of tea. You can drink as much tea as you like, but you you might not have fellowship with anybody because fellowship only starts when you're letting somebody else see you as you really are. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody that says, how are you, you've got to tell them your whole life story. But it would be very sad if you came to this meeting this morning and your heart is breaking, and your world is in a mess, and there was nobody here that you were able to share that with. What a tragedy that would be. Uh, In a place where there are people here that can help you, people here that have got the answers to these things because they've been in the same places themselves, and Jesus has shown them the answers. And uh, So let's be more open with each other. But you know, it can work the other way, round as well. It's not just a case of um, that somebody doesn't, or we don't open up to people about uh, what we're really like, what's really going on in our lives, but, you know, uh, sometimes we don't want to hear what other people are saying. Um, I I remember once introducing my wife to a a Christian guy I I knew, but she hadn't met him before, and uh, I said, oh, this is Marguerite, and he said, oh, hello, pleased to meet you, Marguerite. How are you? Oh, very well, that's great. I'm pleased to hear it. And he walked away. Those, those words were all the guy's words, okay? He didn't actually, wasn't really interested at all in how Marguerite was. He just assumed everything was okay, and on he went on his way. I've been like that with people, maybe not in the sort of same words, but you know, somebody's trying to tell me something, and really I'm not listening. If we walk in the light, if we're being truthful with each other, then we can have fellowship with one another. That's the first thing. That's, that's worth a whole, whole sermon on its own. This is so rich, these verses. And, but the second part of the verse says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, now that's another evidence that walking in the the light doesn't mean being perfect. Because if you were perfect, there would be no need to be cleansed from sin. So it talks about if we're walking in the light, one of the things that happens is the blood of Jesus will purify us from all sin. Um, Later on, verse 9, it says a bit more about that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, notice there it says, if we confess our sins. Again, that's being truthful. Like, if we're just sort of uh, walking along, not, not acknowledging that we've got any sin in our lives, then this verse doesn't apply to us. If we're sort of pretending that everything is okay, this doesn't apply to us. It says, if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. Now, 
That may sometimes mean confessing to others. That can be part of the fellowship we were talking about. In fact, James writes, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Okay, we don't need to confess our sins to one another in order to be forgiven. Okay, we're not coming to a priest. But we can confess our sins to one another so that we can pray with each other and say, look, I really struggle in this area. I'm very impatient. This is true, by the way. I am. And yeah, will, will you pray for me over this, this thing? And uh, I so, get so uptight with people that are uh, slow to understand things when I'm trying to, not so much in church, but at work and places like that. And uh, <laughs> uh, if somebody can't understand what I'm saying to them, I struggle with this. Please, please pray for me. So it says, confess your thoughts to one another, pray for one another that you might be healed. But certainly, you know, not every sin do we confess all of the time to everybody else, but certainly we need to confess them to God. And we need to be honest about the situation, not pretending that we haven't sinned, which John says that's walking in darkness. Right? But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. That's amazing in itself, but we haven't got time to go into all of that. But it says two things will happen. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, coming to Jesus isn't just about having your sins forgiven. It's about being purified, about your life changing so that there's less and less sin there. Right? It's not, you know, forgive me for I have sinned and then go away and do the same thing and backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, but actually getting victory over that sin, being purified. And... Uh, I asked Mike to read the um, next verse of uh, the, the verse, first verse of the next chapter, although I'm not really speaking on it today. But John goes on to say, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Okay, that's the goal. But he says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The goal is to be free from sin. We're not going to achieve it in this life, but there should be a process going on, that Jesus is not just forgiving us our sin when we sin, but we are being purified. And how does that happen? It happens as we respond to the light. Like God shows you something today that you need to deal with in your life. It won't be the same thing that he's showing to me. But the question is, will, God res- will you respond to what God is saying to you today? Will you respond to that thing? I remember years ago talking to a guy and he, and he said, I've got so many problems and uh, so many things are wrong in my life and uh, I don't know where to start. And there's uh, so many things where I know in which I'm displeasing. I said, what matters is the very next thing you do when you walk out from seeing me, what, whatever you're next challenged by, whatever you next, God next shows you to do, it's important that you respond to that light. I think about 30 years later, he, I, I see him quite often, but he actually mentioned to me that, that time and said, I remember that so clearly. And he said, I've, I've tried to live my life in that way, to respond day by day to what Jesus shows me. And uh, we'll mess up at times, we all do, and then we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Praise God for that. But Jesus wants not just to forgive us our sins, 
but to purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, I'll stop there. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are such a wonderful, wonderful Saviour. Thank you that you have borne all of our sins. We've celebrated it this morning. We've remembered it, Lord, as we've taken communion together. Your body was broken. Your precious blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. But, Lord, thank you that you've got a much bigger and greater plan for us to change us into your image. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, your word says when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Thank you, there's coming a day when, Lord, we will stand before you without any trace of sin at all, being able to stand in that full blazing light of Jesus. Lord, because you've purified us from all sin. Lord, we've got such a long way to go, but I pray that today you will take us a step forward. Lord, I pray, Lord, for people here that don't know what they should be dealing with next. I pray that you will show them the next step and that they will respond. Lord, I pray that, Lord, if there's people that, Lord, need help over that, they won't hold back from, Lord, sharing with other people whom they trust and Lord, that we can pray for each other and help each other. Lord, let there be more and more true fellowship among us here at Goldings. We pray, Lord, that we might be sensitive to one another's needs and help one another, build one another up in this most holy faith. So, our God, we thank you for all your mercy to us and, Lord, for the time we had together today and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will continue to show us your way as we walk in the light this week. In your precious name. Amen.